Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Building on the Rock, produced by St. Peter's Lutheran Congregation of Fond du Lac, located at 1600 South Main Street. Our congregation has had the privilege of serving our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ since 1858. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8 or 10.30 or every Thursday night at 6.30. St. Peter's serves Jesus' little lambs with a preschool through 8th grade Lutheran elementary school and supports Winnebago Lutheran Academy. We invite you to take advantage of the many opportunities that St. Peter's provides to help you build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus and his word. For more information, call us at 922-1160 or visit us at stpetersfdl.net. May God bless you as together we continue building on the rock. We follow the worship service, the order of the service, beginning on page 154. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to the Lord. Holy God, gracious Father, I am sinful by nature and have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved others as I should. I deserve your punishment both now and forever. But Jesus, my Savior, paid for my sins with his innocent suffering and death. Trusting in him, I pray, God have mercy on me, a sinner. The word of God that is uh, recorded for us in John chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, is also going to serve as the basis for the sermon this evening. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers sitting at tables. He made a whip of cords and drove everyone out of the temple courts along with the sheep and oxen. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews responded, what sign are you going to show us to prove you can do these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. The Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Then they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said. The Gospel of the Lord. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, as I mentioned before, our 
sermon text is based on John chapter 2, Jesus throwing the money changers and removing the cattle and other animals from the temple courts. We're going to refer to that text as we go through the sermon, so I'm not going to repeat that now, other than to say, speak this one verse. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. What made the people of Israel in the Old Testament, even up to the time of Jesus, what made them different than virtually any other nation in the ancient world? There are many things that might come to mind when we think of the difference between the nation of Israel and the other nations. Uh, God was their God. Uh, we might remember that the, the people of Israel were set apart by the laws that God had given them, and that made them different. But I would submit that one of the things that most differentiated Israel from any of the other nations around them, in fact, any other nation in the world, was the fact that they only had one, one God. All the other nations in the world, all the other cultures, and all the other religions that there were in the world at that time, and even in the world today, all of them virtually had a, a whole array of gods. They looked at the world around them and they saw gods who must be governing the, the weather, bringing us storms and causing thunder and lightning to boom. They would have looked at uh, special events that went on in the world that they weren't all that much accustomed to experiencing, like earthquakes or uh, floods. And they would have said, there's gods in those natural events. They even found gods in all the different animals that God had created. They found animals in all the natural world around them, in the trees and in the flowers and in the ground. And it didn't matter if that was coming out of Egypt or Babylonia or Mesopotamia or Persia or Greece or Rome, Italy. All of those ancient religions had this whole array of gods that they said they worshipped. And that was so much different than Israel. We know, because we worship the same God, that there is only one God, and that he has revealed himself to us in the Bible. There is only one God, and he differentiates himself from all the other things that people call gods by saying, there is no other God. All those things that you fabricated in your minds, the creatures that you worship, uh, the creation that you worship, those aren't real gods. You can have a God that you make out of a, of a piece of wood or stone, and you can call that God, but it won't do anything for you. No, there is only one God. And that was different. We see how different it is, not only the fact that God says there is only one God and that it is him, but we see it in the fact that this God revealed himself to Israel not as just God, but as the Lord, the God of what is called the God of free and faithful grace, the God who 
out of every God there could be that might be called a God, was the one who said he was going to make things right with humankind again. He was going to send a savior, someone who in the, uh, the place of people was going to make things right. The way that it had been in the Garden of Eden, the, the original world that Adam and Eve had enjoyed, he was going to make it possible by the savior that he was going to send, whoever that was going to be, he was going to do it so that all of humankind, beginning with the nation of Israel especially, could know that they had been redeemed and restored and they were going to live with God in a new world in his kingdom. That was so different. God uh, created all kinds of laws for the people to obey that set them apart. But you know, those laws, even themselves, all pointed to the fact that you, as an Israelite, needed a savior. And if you were a descendant of Adam and Eve, whether you were an Israelite or not, you needed a savior who was going to make things right again. Because you see, you and I, Jews, especially in the Old Testament, had turned their backs on God and had no hope whatsoever of restoring a right relationship with God. They couldn't get into God's good graces without God being their savior. All those laws in the Old Testament that governed the lives of the people of Israel, especially the laws governing the sacrifices that they were to initiate and to carry out every day, every week, every month, and every year, all those Old Testament sacrificial laws pointed to the fact that we can't save ourselves. We need a savior who can save us. All those sacrifices of blood especially reminded all those people, ah, it's going to require blood. It's going to be a blood sacrifice that God is going to initiate when he forgives sins and he sends the savior that he's promised to send. At the time of Jesus, those sacrifices almost always took place centered on the temple in Jerusalem. At the temple, the people offered their sacrifices of animals like sheep and goats and oxen. They offered them every day. They went to the priests and they offered sacrifices for sin every week and every month. And then there was a special time of the year, the Day of Atonement, when the Lord saw to it that the high priest was able to go into the most holy place, the inner sanctuary of the sanctuary, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of God, the Ark of the Covenant. There was another special day where the people could gather in Jerusalem, and that was what brought Jesus to Jerusalem in the occasion marked by our text. It was Passover, we're told. Ah, the Passover, yet another event that also required a sacrifice. Remember, they would take the blood of a lamb and put it on their doors. Just as they had been told so many centuries before by Moses himself. They were reminded in that special act and they ate the special meal and they were ready to travel as they hitched up their, their leggings. They were reminded that one time God had saved them from slavery in Egypt. And you know all these things because we talk about that all the time. 
when the people gathered for the Passover, they not only remembered the past, but they remembered, ah, but God has always made this promise to us that we're going to have a Savior one day, and he's going to be the perfect Lamb of God, not just another lamb from a flock, but the perfect Lamb of God. All of this took place at the temple. It was to be a reminder to the people that when they came to the temple, yes, there was a sacrifice for sin that had to be offered because you know what? You are a sinner and you have to offer the sacrifice for sin. The people were reminded, ah, we need a savior. We can't save ourselves. We have to offer these sacrifices all the time. And how is the blood of an animal going to ever take away our sins? There they could recall the promise of God and, and the fact that this God of all gods, of all things that call themselves gods, this was the one God who keeps his promises and he would keep his promise to send a savior. That's what took place in the temple and in the courtyards around the temple. The people were reminded that this is what God had said in his Old Testament word. And this is what God meant when he said those things. A sacrifice is coming. You can't bring it yourself, but God is going to provide one for you. When Jesus came to Jerusalem on that Passover day, that's not what he found going on in the temple courtyard. The leaders of the people, especially those who were tasked with governing what went on in the temple courtyard was nothing more than a marketplace, or as it says in our text, uh, a place of business. What was front and center was not the fact that they were going to be saved by the God who promised a savior from sin. What was front and center was the fact that you need to get a lamb and the only place you're going to get one is right here that we can offer you at a special rate an inflated rate, but at least you have a lamb, or a goat, or an ox. Or if you can't afford those, we've got some special turtle doves here that you can also use. All of these things took place in the, in the temple courtyard. It took the, the eyes of the people, it took their, their, the focus that should have been on the Savior God and, and worship of Him who had promised a Savior, it took it away and it, they became distracted. All they saw were animals being shoved around and, and they had to pay money, but they always had to use the temple coins. They couldn't use the government issued money of the day. So there was an exchange rate that went on there and, and everything was proving to be a distraction for the people. And that's when we read these words in the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers sitting at tables. He made a whip of cords and drove everyone out of the temple courts, along with the sheep and oxen. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. When you read this story, it sounds a little bit out of character for Jesus, doesn't it? At, at first glance, what, 
I think what most impresses us is the fact that this Jesus whom we have followed in the Gospels and whom we know personally in our own lives for what he has done to us and for us, we, we, we're accustomed to seeing a gentle Savior, a, a Savior who heals, a, a Savior who is very humble and speaks kind words, a Savior who says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That's the Savior we're accustomed to seeing. But then we come across Jesus in the temple court, throwing out the money changers, driving out the animals that were used there for the sacrifices. It seems so out of character until we think about it a little bit more and look at that story through the eyes of the faith which the Holy Spirit has given us. Then we begin to understand what was meant by the disciples saying, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus is not coming to these people angry, hateful, speaking spite-filled words, using a whip to hurt the people. He's coming because he's filled with zeal. Zeal is considered to be a a passion, an all-consuming passion. That's what zeal is. And the focus of Jesus' zeal was what the temple stood for. It wasn't the buying and selling of animals. It wasn't being a money changer. It wasn't making money off of the people who gathered there. It was to show the world the God who promised the Savior. As the word zeal is used in both the Old Testament and New Testament, it's used pretty often. When it's used about God, it always carries with it the idea of this consuming passion for something that always leads to action. The action that we see here is Jesus removing what is distracting for the people and taking their focus off of what should have been going on in the temple courtyard. Now we begin to see why the, the Jewish leaders were so upset by what Jesus was doing because they were, he was destroying their, their livelihood. He was taking away the, the things that they had come to the temple to do. They weren't there to necessarily worship God, but they were there to make money. When Jesus upset the apple cart, as it were, he was really ruining the status quo, and they couldn't stand for that. They said, by what authority, who gave you the right to do this? Now we see the zeal, the consuming passion that Jesus has for saving sinners. He says, you want to know what's going on here? I can destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. The disciples understood that what Jesus was talking about was not the temple that they could see standing in front of them, but the temple of his body. That's what they discovered. Jesus was consumed so much that he would, he would talk about the resurrection that was yet to come. He had been pointing to himself as the Son of Man who had come to seek and to save what was lost. 
And now he was giving them even more information, proving that he had the power over life and death because he was going to rise from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, then all those Jewish people had to know that what God promised in the Old Testament was true. They were going to rise too, to eternal life. That's what Jesus wanted the people to see. So what does this have to do with you and me? This isn't a story that can be a little bit difficult to understand until we see it through the eyes of faith. But then we think that the zeal that Jesus showed here is the same zeal with which he deals with you and me in our lives. What are the things that we can learn here? First of all, we see how how zealous he is for Jesus to complete the mission that the Father has given him. He will be the Savior. He will suffer and die as the perfect Lamb of God, but he will also rise from the dead for all of those people who were there in the temple courtyard that day. Jesus is totally focused on carrying out his Father's will. When Jesus shows us how much zeal he has for those people, then we have to understand that he has that same zeal for you and me. What zeal has Jesus shown to you? Hmm. Well, this evening, many of us are going to have the opportunity to attend the Lord's table, and we're going to receive Christ's own body and blood. What a powerful, first of all, sacrament that works faith and builds up faith in our hearts, but also enables us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. How zealous was Jesus to be our Savior? He was so zealous that he was willing to be, be, be punished by these same Jewish leaders, and by Pontius Pilate's soldiers. How zealous is Jesus for being the Savior of the world and the Savior that you and I need? Why, he's even going to allow himself to be killed and put to death on a cross. He's going to allow himself to be uh, one who suffers immeasurable pain and, and difficulty and even death. Just for us, for you. How zealous is Jesus? Why, he reminds us that his body is going to be raised in three days. We get to the end of the Lenten season and we're going to be able to celebrate Easter. And it's going to be such a powerful, powerful reminder of the zeal that Jesus has for us that he would allow us to witness through faith his own resurrection from the dead that shows that you today are going to be with him in paradise. This is what's going to happen at the end of our lives. That's how zealous Jesus is for us. Jesus is going to be consumed by that zeal. Also in another way, he's going to have you and me look at ourselves, which we've already done in the service this evening when we confessed our sins. That's what took place in the original temple. That's also what Jesus wants to happen in the temple of our hearts, where he has established his kingdom, his rule. He wants us do not be distracted by all the things that are going on in our lives. All the times that, that we become distracted by our own sinful hearts, the hearts that say to us, you know, you've got to take care of your own needs because nobody else is going to take care of you. 
On a day-to-day -day basis, you've got to put yourself first. You're number one. And Jesus in zeal is going to say, don't listen to that. It's a lie. Jesus is so zealous for us that when you and I are tempted by Satan to think that we could never be saved, not people like us, or on the other hand, to compare ourselves to others and say, I'm pretty good. I guess I'm going to go to heaven. No, stop it, Jesus says. With a zealous, all-consuming passion, he reminds us that we have so often fallen prey to the temptations of Satan. Jesus is so zealous for us that when you and I are tempted to listen to all the sirens of the world that say, you only live once, you have to reach for everything that you can possibly get for yourself. All the goods that the world has to offer, all the pleasures, why not partake in, uh, partake in all of those? Jesus says, no, those are going to lead you away from me. They're going to make you think that this is all there is to life and that the real life that is to come, that is only available through him, isn't worth it. Jesus says, stop it. In zeal, not hatefulness for us, uh, not being angry with us, but loving us so much that he's willing to zealously speak to us in our deepest need, in our most horrible hours. He has our consciences say to us, don't do those things. Don't think those thoughts. Don't speak those words. They're going to drive a wedge between me and you. Jesus says, listen. Listen to the word. Find comfort in the sacrament that you're going to have tonight. Listen to the word of, of truth when it says to you that all of your sins have been forgiven. They've all been washed away. And help us focus on what is to come. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. That's not just his focus for us. It is his all-consuming passion for you. Amen. Now the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, We give thanks, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us with this saving gift. We pray that through it you will strengthen our faith in you and increase our love for one another. Help, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you peace.
Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Building on the Rock, produced by St. Peter's Lutheran Congregation of Fond du Lac, serving our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ since 1858. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8 or 10.30, or every Thursday night at 6.30. Our address is 1600 South Main Street. St. Peter's serves Jesus' Little Lambs with a preschool through 8th grade Lutheran Elementary School and supports Winnebago Lutheran Academy. We invite you to take advantage of the many opportunities that St. Peter's provides to help you build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus and His Word. For more information, call us at 922-1160 or visit us at stpetersfdl.net. We'll be back next week with another edition of Building on the Rock. Until then, God be with you.